If you're looking to grow from six to seven figures in revenue a year, or seven figures a year in revenue to seven figures a month in your econ business, or if you're feeling like you've plateaued in your business, this is the podcast for you. You're listening to the Journey to an Eight-Figure Ecom Business Podcast. My name is Emmanuel Alea, founder and CEO of Alea Systems, where we build systems that build brands online and teach e-commerce founders how to go from six figures a year to six figures a month in 90 days or less. I scaled my first e-commerce business from zero to seven figures in two years and seven to eight figures three years later. Since then, we've created an agency to help others recreate the same success by partnering with over 50 e-commerce businesses as clients. In just the last year, we've helped 12 of them go from six figures to seven figures and five of them 10x their businesses, going from around 30K a month in revenue to over 300,000 a month in revenue. And we're just getting started right now. Let's be clear. This podcast isn't for everyone. It's for folks who already have an idea. You're already selling, but you're also not funded. You're using your own cash to grow the business, which means you're trying to have a life while also having a business, but feeling the pressure of having to do it all yourself. If these are your struggles, we're here for you, and you're going to get the most value from this podcast. In the first couple of episodes, we'd been talking about the first phase of the journey, going from the start or side hustle uh, to a full-time income with your e-commerce store. I really stressed what the most important component is, which is understanding product market fit and validating that you've achieved it while making sure you have a good product margin, right? Pricing strategy. In the last podcast episode, we began talking about the next phase of the journey, what it looks like to go from full-time income to hiring a team. And we'll be continuing that discussion about that phase in today's episode. So let's take stock of where you're at. You landed on your business model and got your side hustle going and making some money. That's the initial journey we all start. You validated product market fit. Then you priced your products for a healthy margin to make sure you're getting that 6 to 10x product margin on what you're paying your manufacturer for your goods. You also started getting consistent, repeatable sales of around 10,000 to 30,000 a month in revenue. And you're at about 10 to 25% profit margin, which means you should be pulling down at least a solid 2,500 to 7,500 a month in salary for yourself. Whether you choose to reinvest it or not, that's up to you. However, that means that's a full-time income. You did it. You made it. You've gotten to where your business is enough for you to be like, look, I'm quitting at nine to five. I'm shutting it down. I'm going to do this full-time. In this podcast episode, we're going to continue to talk about the next phase of this journey, going from full-time income to having a staff managing your business. Last time we talked about the systems you need to build at this stage of growth, both for customer acquisition and supply chain, the things you should be doing, right? This episode, we're going to look at the opposite side of that. We'll dig into the things you should not be doing and implementing that are really just a waste of time energy, and money. I call these distractions, right? Last episode, I made quite a few recommendations, a a big old list of things that you should do uh, that honestly is interesting because a lot of times you don't really hear that from people. They're not recommended by the gurus out there. Uh, But there's so many more things out there you can try. You may end up trying things that don't work at all or worse. You can work just enough to keep, keep doing them, but ultimately, They're just a waste of time for your business and you end up sinking a lot of precious time and energy into them, right? So you got that list of all the good stuff. 
the things to focus on, but it's a much smaller list than the things that people recommend. There's so many different things that people recommend. Uh, and you just, uh, it's just such a waste and it gets so frustrating. So I'm going to tell you the things that I think you should not be working on. And I should warn you, full disclaimer, I'm going to give you a very highly opinionated list of time sucks and things that I don't think at this stage. And remember, this is for this current stage. It's not forever. You can do them later. But these things just waste your time at the early stage and you shouldn't be worried about them. You should be more focused on the things I told you last episode and the previous episode, your product market fit, making sure your product margins are good, your customer acquisition systems and your supply chain. Those are the things to really focus on. These things, don't worry about them, right? Okay, so there's 10 of them. There's 10 big groupings and I'll start from least distracting to worst distracting, right? And the first one I think are affiliate programs, right? Any kind of affiliate, loyalty, rewards programs, right? I I don't think when you've just gotten product market fit, you're doing about 10 to 30K of revenue. They're just not that uh, effective at this level because what do affiliate programs and things like that need? You need to have a ton of affiliates. Uh, and so now guess what? You've just added a bunch of salespeople onto your business and maybe those salespeople make money. Maybe those salespeople don't make money. Uh, but at the same time, they're all going to need to be paid you're going to have to manage a spreadsheet. You're going to have to, or you're going to have to manage an app that does that. There's going to be issues. There's going to be complications. Why take the headache, right? Same thing with loyalty and rewards programs. Those are all great in theory. And if you have a dedicated person to manage them, then fine. But at this stage of the game, you're still a solopreneur. You don't have that kind of resources, right? The rewards program, there's going to be people saying, hey, can I get points for this? Hey, I didn't get my points. Hey, I need more points. Hey, what's going on with the points? My points don't work. My points are an issue. Or the app that you're using doesn't work and it breaks and all of a sudden people are bugging you. Or worse, people have tons of rewards points and they're just not using them and spending on your store to make, make you more money. It's just, in my opinion, there it's one of those things that's great when you're big enough, but at this level, the administrative straight of burden is just way too high for a solo founder in the beginning. It's just plot out distracting. Distraction. All right. Second distraction, any kind of giveaways, sweepstakes, competition programs, any of that stuff. Uh, this this includes that Wheelio stuff, right? Spin to win, all that kind of stuff. And I know there's a lot of people that are going to argue with me about it, but I don't like them. I think they're very distracting in a way that's hard to see. And that's why they're so, so popular. You don't really realize the problem with it until it's too late. Because what's happening when someone actually joins your email list or buys your product after seeing that Wheelio, right? And a lot of times they don't even buy your product. They just sign up. The reason is they're there for the wrong thing. They're not necessarily there to buy your product. They're there because they want to play the game. Oh, that was fun. It's like the quizzes. How many people just take the quiz just to see the result, right? Uh, it's not really that they're interested. And remember, the whole goal of this that we talked about in the initial lesson is product market fit. You want to find people who have a high value problem that your product solves and sell to them. That's your whole goal. Otherwise, you're wasting time and money speaking to people who don't have your problem and don't want your solution. That just burns cash. It burns your marketing budget. So don't waste your time. Don't waste your money giving doing giveaways. Like if you do a giveaway or a sweepstake or competition and quizzes fall into that too, then you're bringing in people who aren't necessarily interested in your product and may have just been interested in the sweepstakes and competition. And I know there's that idea of, well, what if we make the giveaway our product? Uh, well, sure, that's fine. 
uh, that's a, a nuance to it. And if they sign up for a giveaway for your product, that's a little bit better. And that's when I'm kind of like, all right, I'll slide a little bit. Go ahead and give it a shot. The problem, though, is you have to be careful because now you've got freebie seekers, right? They didn't want to pay you your price. And remember the conversation we talked about in that episode about product margin. You're wanting to make sure that the people you have on your customer list, not just your email list, are people who are willing to pay you that price that you need to make your product margin. And so if they came in on a sweepstake hoping to win something, and maybe, yeah, they buy it. They probably want waited for a coupon, right? right your pop-up coupon. They're not necessarily your high-value customer, your high LTV customer. You're going to constantly be having to discount in the future in order to get them to buy anything, right? So distraction. Now, the next one. Webinars, lives, going live on Facebook or Instagram, eBooks, uh, all these complicated funnels, the whole click funnel methodology, all these different really super high touch, high produced, long form video, all these kind of things, right? Those to me, again, they're extremely effective, very effective. If you have the time, energy and resources to build it, you're a solopreneur. Do you have time to build out these complicated funnels? My guess is no. And also you're going to have to put time into tweaking each and every phase. So the longer your funnel is, the more work you have to put into each piece and the more variables there are to test. And you need a lot of data. You need a lot of traffic coming in in order to test those pieces. You don't have that. So you're going to put all this energy into filming, scripting, recording, all these different videos and going live all the time. And no one's going to see it. And so if no one sees it, you're not sure what's not working about it or what should I tweak about it, right? Plus, to me, in the e-commerce world, those, that kind of idea goes against who we are. Right. For the majority of you guys, we're probably selling products less than two, three hundred dollars, right? Twenty five, fifty bucks, hundred bucks, hundred fifty dollars. Right. That's what we're selling online. Those kind of things are almost in the impulse buy category, especially the lower the lower the price, the more people are just willing to trust you enough to say, ah, why not? Twenty five bucks. Let me buy it. Right. When you start getting up into the webinar stuff and all that, that's what you use when you're trying to sell things that are much more high ticket, um, high ticket products, right? These are things that are $1,000, right? $200, $2,000 riding lawnmower or a, a, co a coaching consulting course that's $1,000 a month, right? Those things require the, a person to really super trust you. They have to believe that if they send this money out into the internet, right, by paying on your website, that you're going to not only not lose your money, but you're going to get multiples of that back. And that's why you see most of these strategies in the get rich quick space, right? Or the make money online space. Those are where you see this really used a lot. Uh, and those gurus really push hard on it because they know marketing sells because what people are thinking about when they're watching the webinar or when they're watching their long form sales video, when they're watching that, people are not thinking how much is this thing costing me? What they're thinking is, how much can I make if I do what this person shows me to do? That's really what they're thinking of, right? Problem is your product doesn't have that kind of ROI. It's a pure cost. So using strategies that are for high consideration products, which is the opposite of an impulse buy product, right? People have to consider it and think about it. Things that are high consideration need those funnels. If you're not one of those, then you're actually just kind of wasting your time doing it, right? So 
falls into this category, right? So subscriptions and subscription boxes. That's the next one, right? A lot of people, again, this is one of those that's a little controversial, but remember for this phase, uh, subscriptions and subscription boxes, they are a distraction. They are tough because again, it fits into kind of like the loyalty programs and affiliate programs, right? It's just another headache to manage. First of all, the apps aren't that good, right? That you use in the e-commerce space, right? It's not like you can just set up Stripe uh, for a SaaS product and people log in and you send them a login and then they you charge their card once a month and it's all tech stuff, it's all an app. No, you actually physically got to package, get inventory, have the inventory. You got to figure out which products should go subscription, which products should not go subscription. Then you Shopify doesn't natively have a subscription app. So you're going to be bolting on something that may or may not work for you, whether it's like a recharge or one of the bold apps or something. Uh, and so it's going to be a separate SKU a lot of times. Uh, people's cards uh, don't charge, right? Sometimes like if they're on a subscription and month two or three, their, chart, their card gets declined, you may not be aware of it. That's another one of those practices in the subscription world. You've got to go back and now you got to notify those people, hey, your card didn't work. But what if you already shipped the product, right? Because you didn't have your systems tied in, right? It's just another area where you're going to have to manage and put time and effort into it. Uh, and then subscription boxes, compiling that stuff. What products are you going to put in there? Uh, are you going to have enough, right? Uh, and most importantly, with both of these, whether it's a, a recurring subscription or subscription box, um, you have the work of building, making sure you have the product. So now it ties your hands a little bit in the sense that if someone signed up for a subscription for some product, you can't run out. If you run out, now you're in the situation of having to email them, sorry, we're out. What would you like to change? Just sell product, you know, sell it, ship it. If you don't have it, don't sell it. Uh, these kinds of things are just the type of things that tie up your time as a solo founder um, and just give you more work on your plate. You've already got enough work to do, right? So subscriptions and subscription boxes at this stage, distraction. All right, next one, halfway through the list. Uh, hopefully you're still with me. I haven't lost you. You're not so angry and frustrated because I want to do it. I really want to, if you want to do these things again, go ahead and do them. Uh, that's fine. But just know, just be warned that the, the cost benefit on your time and energy may not be there. As exciting as it may sound, some guru sold you on the idea you need to do this or somebody told you that it's going to work so well, go for it. Fine. I don't care. Do it. Don't listen. That's your, your prerogative. But I'm telling you, when you're wading into that mess and now all of a sudden you missed out on the things we told you last last episode and you start those are starting to slip because you've been so focused on these, you'll remember that I told you it's a distraction. Don't bother. But you've been warned. Okay, the next one, a developer, right? A lot of people are like, oh, I need to redesign my website. I need to work on this. I need this app. I need this custom feature. You know, we need to go to WooCommerce because Shopify just won't do this one cool whiz-bang thing. Uh, I'll be honest with you. If you're needing custom development, you're doing too much. Plain and simple. You're in the game for the wrong reasons, right? You're trying to be a, a tech techie person. You're trying to build a flashy website. Honestly, Shopify sites, big commerce sites, uh, all these sites that are meant to just basically be an online cash register, they're good enough. The sites are going to be good. People are familiar with it. They follow a pretty standard template. And if you want to be unique and different and dazzle people with your design, remember you're getting, it's kind of like the, the giveaway and the competitions, right? You're dazzling people with your design 
does that actually mean they want your product? Hmm. Right. Our goal is product market fit. So we want people who want your product because they know it's a high value problem. We shouldn't add in all these other reasons for them to buy that don't confirm or deny that they fit your market. Right. So if it takes having a whiz bang site uh, to do that, meaning you have to go get a developer to custom code things, you're doing too much. Plain and simple. It's just a time suck. It's a waste. It's distracting from the core purpose of why you're in business, right? To sell your ideas, to sell your products, right? And also the worst part about this, and this is the most insidious part, is it ends up becoming a trap for paralysis analysis and perfectionism, right? Because you hire, now the question is, do we hire a developer? Or do we hire a web designer? And did the web designer really, and you're in a creative space. So does the designer fully understand your, uh, your vision? Are they able to bring your vision to life is the second part of that. So maybe they fully understand it. And they're like, yeah, I get it. But they just can't code it right simply because the technology doesn't exist or doesn't work right. Right. So you can't get the images to line up perfectly that way, or you can't get it th to line up that way on all devices, on an iPad, on a desktop computer, on an Android phone or an old operating system on the Android phone. Like there's so many different variables and you, you can get stuck for years, just constantly trying to redo the site and just stuck in this idea. It's just not right. It's just not, we're going to launch it. We're going to launch it. We're going to, you just get stuck. Right. So yeah, I wouldn't mess with it. You know, trying to get a developer to do that. Or maybe you're just, you're like, look, I want to go on to WooCommerce because I want to have a one page checkout. Right. Or I want to have this specific thing. And yeah, in that case, you're going to have to get a developer because at some point that WooCommerce site is going to go down in a way that you can't figure out. And that to me is another sign that you're just doing too much. You're, you're making things more difficult on yourself. Why would you want to set up a business where you have to employ certain people just so that your site, your business will, will work, right? It's like opening a store and making sure you have somebody to open the front door on call all day long because the front door is some fancy custom front door. And if one little bolt or some mechanism isn't working just right, then the whole door, the door is closed and no one can come into your store and buy. Right? That's just, you would never do that. That'd be so dumb. It'd be silly. Well, we do that in the e-commerce world all the time, right? Where we're like, look, I want to have this specific feature and I'm so frustrated. I can't stand that I, can't, I don't have the specific feature. So that's it. We're done with Shopify. We're moving over to WooCommerce and we're going to hire a developer and do it. Well, now you're locking yourself into that scenario where you need someone to potentially sit there and maintain it. So distraction. The next one, and you guys will know it as soon as I say it, you're one funnel away, right? <laughs> Click funnels, funnels, or or any of them, the Kartras of the world, or the uh, all these different convert tree and all these funnel building applications, right? These things, I mean, this kind of like the whole idea of webinars and lives and eBooks, right? These these are just a complete and other, utter time suck, right? First of all, they're not built for you. They're not built for e-commerce, okay? For a physical product that has to be shipped. Yeah, they'll say they have templates for it, but truly they weren't built for e-commerce people. These were built for internet marketers, right? They're built for people who are selling high ticket products that require people to go through a heavy consideration process to build enough trust to buy the product, you know? So th there was nothing for them. 
So all these funnel things uh, came up for those marketers, right? For those people that are doing that kind of stuff. They weren't built to sell $25 products. Uh, and I know they've started to migrate over. ClickFunnels has, has got a lot of templates and things for the e-commerce space. And it's supposed to plug into Shopify on the back end if you use permalinks and all these kind of things. But it, it truly isn't the ideal for that, right? Um, it's not built for you. And again, you don't need all of that. So if you decide you're going to do that, sure, go for it. But just know that there's another risk to that. Uh, not just that they didn't build it for you, it's that it's going to take forever to build it on your own. So not only was it not built for you, so the technology is not really there for you, but neither is the support, right? Whereas with a Shopify, there's all kinds of resources, there's blogs, there's a customer service team that knows that e that space, they know the technology, they know how it helps e-commerce merchants. If you get onto a ClickFunnels or something, you say, hey, there's some issue with my Shopify integration or with my cart or these transactions, I'm doing 2000 transactions a day. How do I handle this? They're not there for you. They're not going to be able to help you. They don't really get that. And so you're on, you're on your own trying to figure it out. And that just adds time and it's a bunch of energy. And worse, now that beautiful funnel that you built that was converting so well, it's not working anymore. Right. And so now I guess what you're hiring a developer and we're back to point number five, where it's just like, why are you doing this to yourself, right? You don't need that. And again, this is not something forever. Maybe later on down the road, you want to try it out, hire somebody and let them do it. But as a solopreneur, it's just going to add a whole lot of time and energy that you don't have uh, to something that is not helping you identify product market fit, address your product margin, and build out your customer acquisition and supply chain systems. That's where you should be putting your energy, not in figuring out how to have two-step opt-in forms configured, but only from Facebook traffic that comes from your webinar. What? It's too much, right? Secondly, back-end sales. People are like, well, I want to be able to have the one-click upsell. And I want to be able to have, uh, you know, the down sales and the cross sales and the upsell and the cross and all these kind of things. That, I'm sorry, guys, like it's just not built out well in general on the e-commerce side, you know, because uh, it's, it's and it has nothing to do with like the Shopify, the ClickFunnels of the world on the e-commerce side. And when you go to a Shopify, it's, it's all about the tokenization and the payment processing and charging credit cards. The tech just isn't that well built out. Uh, if you want to know more about it, just look at the one click upsell guy, Zipify, uh, Ezra Firestone. So they've I've watched that journey as they started. It's been a hacky process on their end that they had to figure out how to hack that through. They just now, this year, I think, or last year, 2020, uh, when we're talking about, they just now got into Shopify native checkout, uh, but they've always been on the outside. So you always had to have your native Shopify payments, but then for one-click upsells, you had to use a different payment processor, uh, Stripe. Uh, you had to set that up and connect to your account. So now you have, and then the metrics didn't plug into Shopify. So if you looked in your Shopify admin, see how many sales you had, you wouldn't see any of those Stripe sales. You had to go to your Stripe dashboard to look at it, right? So Guess what that adds? Complexity, time, energy, wasted, gone. And I don't believe necessarily that the cost outweighs the benefit, right? The cost of your, the opportunity cost of your time and energy focusing on those other things is lost while you're trying to figure out what does he mean by tokenization? What does he mean by Stripe account? What does he mean? How do I set all this stuff up? Why isn't it processing my orders, right? The other big thing is when these upset orders come in, they'll come in maybe as a separate order, 
maybe it'll modify the existing order. So now you've got a double whammy hit of not only is it separate, but it may be modifying your orders in a way that you weren't prepared for. So now you're going to ship and you're shipping to the same customer in two different packages, which means you're paying two different charges to your shipping and fulfillment company. Why? Right. Um, or you have to get an app that scrubs every day all the different um, orders to see if they're going to the same place and combines the orders or you use ShipStation for that. ShipStation, if you're, if you're not aware, does that, um, has rules for that. But why go through the headache? I don't think that it's really that necessary. So one day it'll be there. I do believe in the concept, the one-click upsell and all that kind of stuff on the back end. It's just the technology isn't robust enough and consistent and reliable enough for me to really recommend it. So distraction. Okay, next one. Another controversial one that I think is a distraction. SEO and content marketing. Oh my goodness. I can't believe how much I hear about this. Everyone wants to do SEO. 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 We need to do SEO. It's free. Because really, what are they what are they really excited about? They're excited about not having to pay for ads, right? It seems like free customer acquisition. Well, the problem is immediately the people who are like, we're going hard on SEO. What are they going to do by going hard on it? They're going to hire someone to do the SEO. Like, well, I thought it was free, right? Or they're going to spend a bunch of time figuring out SEO. Well, just take what your hourly rate is. That's how much you're spending to figure out SEO. So it is not free, first and foremost, right? And then secondly, it takes forever. It takes a solid three to six months to really know if you even did it right, right? Uh, if, it, if it's starting to work. And guess what? That three to six months while you're building it up and you're writing all those articles and you're publishing things, um, you could have been doing something else. And worse, if after that three to six months it didn't work, now you're starting over, right? So I agree. It's good to have articles that you put on your site that explain things, but don't make them for the search engines, right? That's the key. This whole series, this Journey to Eight Figure Podcast is all about finding product market fit. Build content for humans. So that means the topics shouldn't be seven tips that blah, 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 eight tips to none of that kind of content just to have it. It should be content that answers a question your customers have. So this problem that we've identified, this high value problem, here's content around that. Here's content around how to solve it. Here's content around the problem. And then when that starts to rank, you're starting to get qualified traffic or, or even better, you don't care if it ranks. Because really what you're wanting is traffic that's coming from your uh, marketing activities we talked about in the last episode. Maybe they don't convert right away, but they're interested in learning more. So they read through your blog. You should be thinking about making content for those people, people who are just not quite over the fence. What questions do they have? Right. And that's where your customer interviews come into play, right? That we talked about. You should be calling on the phone, finding out what do people consistently have problems with with your product, what problems they're trying to solve with your product, uh, the issues that they had, the successes that they had. All of those you should immediately make into topics for blog posts. Make those into blog posts and put them into your blog and have them available for people. And then take the top two or three that get you the most traffic and conversions and put those as featured blog posts on your homepage, right? Now, I know some people are going to argue immediately, well, you didn't need to know some SEO, right? There's the technical SEO to get it ranked, to get it into the search engines and crawling and sitemaps and all that technical. So Google Search Console and keyword research and 
all these kind of things. Sure, sure, fine. If you want to, go for it. Again, this is solopreneur we're talking to later on is what it matters. But my argument to that is simply that's why you use a templated type of e-commerce platform. If you're on WooCommerce, you're going to have to figure all this stuff out yourself. You know, get all those uh, SEO apps uh, that help you or whatnot. But if you're on Shopify, they literally say at the bottom of every product page, SEO title, meta description. They give you those boxes on the blog post, the same thing. They help you because they know what the search engines are looking for. Now, granted, it may not be the, the cream of the crop SEO, most cutting edge SEO traffic tactics uh, that they're putting in there. But for the most part, you know it's going to rank. It's going to be searchable and crawlable, and it'll show up in the search engines And if you want it to. you know. So to me, it's good enough. The whole 80-20 Pareto principle, right? You'll get 80% of the results that you need. Maybe it's not 100%. That last 20% you may not get, but do you need it? Remember, we're not trying to build content for the search engines. Distraction. You know what? I'm going back to that one because I'm so frustrated by it. Uh, it's, please don't put energy there. I got a story for you, right? Um, the best way to think about your content that you're writing is make it for to help your customer service reps send content to people who have questions. So if you think about customer service reps getting a question, they're like, I just keep getting this question over and over and over again. Why is this? Why does this happen? Why is my cards not working? Or I can't, not even my cards, something about the problem, problem of the product. Uh, every time I use this product, I have this result and it's just not what I expected. Well, guess what? If you're getting that a lot, write up a blog post about that, right? And now not only can your customer service agents answer quickly, they can also point people to that uh, blog post and the person can just read through it real quick and it supports your customer service team and it answers questions in advance. That way, what'll happen is maybe it never even makes it to your customer support agent or use it in a different way where maybe let's say you did go through and do a big SEO push and wrote a whole bunch of content and use it as a way to figure out what types of people questions people are asking. If you shape it as the problem solution and you have 20, 30, 40 blog posts that you wrote in one big writing push, look back at that data over the last six months, year, 30 days and see which ones are getting the most traffic, but more importantly, which ones are actually generating sales, right? Great example for you on that is uh, we had one client that was uh, selling uh, product and they had never really looked, they had blog posts. They just happened to have blog posts and they'd never looked at them. But when we looked at their content, we saw that one blog post somehow was getting like a 5% conversion rate on sales, right? And it also was getting a ton of traffic. It had been ranked somehow. And it was a short little 250 word blog post that they had slapped up out of nowhere. I think uh, it was something this versus that, right? Our product versus another product. Very simple uh, concept. And they just slapped something up real quick. And that was it. Well, that product or that blog post was making money. It was generating free traffic and sales. We didn't even know. When we finally looked at it, we were embarrassed because it was like, oh my gosh, this thing doesn't even have a call to action on it. We don't even have a button for them to get to the store. These people would show up on this page, read through the blog post, and have to go back to the search engine to come back in and click around in the menu and start to look for the products that we were talking about in the blog post. It was just like, oh my gosh. So immediately, we just all we did literally was we just put a simple little product block at the bottom of that. So three little images of products that they can click to buy and then a shop now button and immediately conversion rate and sales doubled from the traffic coming in from that blog post, right? 
those are the kinds of things you can you can do, right? Those are worth doing. But again, you don't have to do a ton of it once and done, right? You you write, you get customer interviews, you get a bunch of ideas for content, write up a couple hundred words about it, put a product block on there, call to action, call it done, right? Let your customer support reps know that that exists and that it answers questions and they can use it and then be done with it. Move on to something else. Don't sit there and become an SEO expert, please. Distraction, part two for SEO and content marketing. We're getting into the good stuff here. They're really, they're really, really big distractions. Here's, here's uh, third, second runner up, the eighth one, third from the top. Third most distracting thing, public relations, PR. <laughs> this one to me, again, this is not forever. This is just for the beginning, uh, the beginning stage while you're a solo entrepreneur. I don't think it's as valuable as you think. I don't think for those people who are so fired up about it, they probably came from a big brand. They probably came from somewhere else where this was a strategy, right? That, that was used and it works there. It's fine. At the start, you're going to spend a ton of time trying to get someone to believe in you enough to write an article about you. Okay, fine. Let's say you succeed. Now they're going to put it out there. You have no control of the message. You have no control necessarily of the call to action. You have no control of what happens to that traffic later. You can't You can't move it in the direction you want. Maybe they uh, advertise the wrong product uh, and you didn't have inventory of that or it's not your best seller or there's a long lead time on it. Now, guess what? All that bump is gone, right? Of sales is gone. You're not in control of it at all. And that's if it gets any sales. They may not do as good a piece as you wanted, or their readership may not be as good as you wanted, right? Or it may go nowhere, it may get not get approved. And that's if you convince them to write about you, right? This is a hard thing to get because they're busy. And also, you're so small, they just may not give you the time of day. So good luck reaching them. You're going to spend a ton of time reaching out to them. Or you hire a PR person. Now you've added money to the mix. Now you want to pay somebody for that, Right. Uh, okay, are you going to get an ROI on it? The thing that the PR people are best at saying, in my opinion, is it takes time. Give me time. I got this. Meanwhile, you're paying them their retainer. Uh, we hired a PR person, and the the person didn't really quite get going in, until two, three years in is what it took before we really started to see some success. But that took a whole bunch of other success for us to have enough clout for him to get doors open. And it took a, my, my sister Grace would fly out to these table talks or these desk something rather where you'd go up to New York or something and just go from office to office, sitting down next to reporters all day long, trying to get them to convince them and pitch them on your story. Meanwhile, you have to come bearing gifts too, right? Like you send them free product, you send them a ton of, you bring these packages. So now there's more inventory you're buying just to convince these people who may not even write about you. It's just going to sit there. They don't care. They may throw that stuff in the trash, right? So why, right? Um, and really, let's be clear. What's PR going to do for you? It's really going to stroke your ego, right? It is a pride thing at the beginning. It just makes you look good and feel good about your brand. But if you're listening to this podcast, I don't think that's the type of person you are, right? You're not here <laughs> to feel good about how cool of an entrepreneur you are, or how successful of an entrepreneur you are, what magazine you're in or what, PR, what blog post. You're here to make money, right? You're here to grow a business to generate a full-time income to support you and your family. And doing PR and getting all these PR placements isn't really part of that plan. It's not really that necessary for that plan, not until later, right? That 
doesn't help put food on the table necessarily. Okay. And for a lot of people, they, they would argue and say, well, it does, if you get the right exposure, you know, get on Oprah's favorite things list, or you get on, you know, this magazine, or you get into this television program. Absolutely. I do not deny uh, that it works phenomenally well. In fact, it's one of these strategies we employ now. Uh, and it's great to have that bump of sales. But remember, it's a bump. You're going to come back down. Just talk to all the people who are on Shark Tank or who are on Oprah's Favorite Things or or Today's Show, and they have this big spike. That really throws you off your business. Ask them a year later how many sales are getting from that placement. I guarantee you it's hardly any, right? Nor near as much as the bump. So it means that you can't sustain that level of sales. You have So should you hire more staff for your shipping for full-time? No, it's temporary. So you literally are just going to have that temporary hit. You're going to spike up in sales and it's going to throw your business out of whack. You're going to have to hire a bunch of temporary staff. You're going to have to hire a bunch of temporary customer service or hire a bunch of temp, order a bunch more inventory, but you can't order inventory and keep that level and keep those orders going. You're going to have to drop back down later. So you have to fire people now and you have to let them go. And all it did was just throw your entire business out of whack for what? For that bump of sales, it's cool. It is an ego boost. It feels good. You look good, and everyone thinks you're so special because oh, I saw you on this or I saw you on that. But really, it really threw your business out of whack, right? So, I don't think PR is great at this stage when you're a solopreneur. Uh, save it for later. All right. Distraction. Second to the last one. First runner up. Right. Second biggest distraction. Lots and lots of creative, right? Photo shoots, video shoots, content, content, content. We need to make more content, right? We got to look good. We have to represent the brand. No, it's a big distraction, okay? Uh, if you go overboard, and again, remember, this is just for now. You definitely need it long-term, but to start, remember, we're not trying to sell that we're great at making videos and photos trying to sell our products, guys. So all you need is enough to let people know that this product is going to solve their problem. And here's what it looks like. And here's how it does that. That's it. So do the basics. Product on white, right? You need those shots for product shots. Lifestyle styled images of your product. You need that. This shows all sides, top to bottom. Uh, you need videos, how-to videos, how to use it, how not to use it, uh, potential problems. You need explanation videos, right? Simple. And these are things you don't need to spend $10,000, $20,000, right? You can go on Upwork, go on Fiverr, hire someone to do, send them your product. They'll send you back product shots a week later or less, right? Product on white. They're scaled to the right scale, resized, retouched, beautiful images that you can slap on. You don't even have to do it yourself. Upwork, Fiverr, right? You can do spokespeople who can do videos for you. Send them your product. They'll, for 250 bucks, they'll record a three, five-minute video on how to use it right? In a style, these are professional people who make a living as spokespeople. Let them do the initial videos for you and call it done, right? You don't need to spend $10,000 on a photo shoot to make your products look good, right? And honestly, it's hard to find that these days. If you go to a production studio, these guys are looking for projects thirty dollars to $50,000 at a minimum. That's what they want. Yeah, they may take a flyer on you, but they f they'll feel like they're doing you a favor, right? Making you a, a two minute video for 10K. Oh, it's such a small client, this tiny little project. And you'll feel like crap the whole time. And also the product they give you, they won't want to do a lot of revisions. They definitely won't chop it up for you as often as you need for all the variations you need for social media. 
right? So why bother? And, and if you're like, oh, well, I have a friend of mine who does this. Yeah, they're probably going to charge you 1500 to 2500 just to make a little two to five minute video for you, right? That's at, that's at best you're going to get. Whereas you go on like a Fiverr, shoot them over your product, you're paying 250 bucks, right? It's expensive to really look good. Um, now, caveat, if your brand is about the look and feel and the design, you're like a fast, high fashion brand, right? You probably need to, to do this. It probably is not a distraction for you. But again, that solves the high value problem. The problem in that market is people want to look good. They want to feel cutting edge. They want to look a certain way. So you do need to spend the money on that. Uh, but Or you're an artistic type of environment, a gallery or something like that, selling art. You do need to spend on that. But again, remember, that's the difference. It ties to the problem that the market is trying to solve. They want that look. So you need to pay for things that solve that look, product market fit, right? But for the majority of us selling products, uh, physical products out there that are not high fashion or any of that, or cutting edge design or cutting edge uh, creative, don't waste your time here, okay? Now, the reason why I'm saying start with the basic pack is because you don't need to go forever. You start with the Upwork Fiverr people, then the real secret to getting ready, generating a ton of creative is to not do it yourself. Ask your customers. And it acts as a secondary way of getting customer insights and reviews, right? Whenever you incentivize a review or whenever you ask for a review, ask for photos. And even better, ask for video reviews, right? Uh, and incentivize that, right? Several brands out there are willing to send a $25 gift card if somebody sends a video of them using the product. Just think about it. $25 gift card. Oh, but what if a thousand people sign up? Oh, that's like, oh my goodness, that's so much money. Well, um, how much was it going to cost you to do a video at a production house? Thirty to fifty thousand dollars. How much does it cost to get your friend to do a two-minute video? Twenty-five hundred dollars. Uh, a customer sending it to you for twenty-five dollars. My goodness, all day, please. And usually it's longer than two to five. And if they're a pseudo influencer or micro influencer trying to make it, it's probably going to be good enough quality. And actually. With user-generated content, you want it to be low quality and organic so you can use it on social media. So instead of trying to get a production house, just ask your customers for it, right? And then the added bonus, they'll share it. And you'll get social proof and you have all these videos. And then what you can do, and here's the real secret sauce, is hire a video editor. Don't hire any production people. Bring in a video editor and just mash them up. And maybe you don't hire a video editor, you just grab them on Upwork, and you say, these six videos that talk about this particular feature of my product, the client sent in, put them all together in one video. And guess what? You've got a video for your ads, you've got a video for your website, you've got a video for your email, and you didn't even have to do anything to produce it, your customers did. And it works better because it's organic, it's authentic, uh, and it's not from the brand necessarily. So again, Making a ton of creative at the beginning. Distraction. All right, the biggie. The last one. This is by far the biggest distraction, and it's the most insidious one, right? Because it seems it's so innocent. It's so, um, you never see it coming, especially as an entrepreneur. You just started a side hustle, and everyone's like, why are you doing this? And, you know, is this going to work? And, they, they, you know, you get laughed at at first, right? And you finally start to make it and you're full time with it and it's hard and you're struggling and you still feel kind of like, oh, I'm not quite there. Uh, then you get this distraction. I call them friends, family, and fakers. Uh, uh, <laughs> they mean well, 
But honestly, they don't know what they're talking about. If they're not another entrepreneur too, who is at least your size or bigger, they don't, right? You get all the, what What do you hear, right? You hear, you sell on Amazon. You should go on Shark Tank. You should sign up for Wish. You should sign up for Walmart.com. Ooh, I was, I was in my MBA class and I saw this. Here, here's a book. Here's this. Uh, watch this show. Oh, that's like the profit. Well, that's like Shark Tank. You should go on Shark Tank. Oh, yeah. You definitely need to go on Shark Tank. And if you listen, you end up getting pulled in all these different directions, <laughs> trying all these things, right? Um, you're, or you should go to this trade show. Oh, that's my favorite. The trade show. Oh, that's such a huge distraction. Now you're building a booth. You're deciding whether you should sponsor it you're, or you're walking the floor, trying to make connections, trying to meet people. What does any of this have to do with product market fit? Right. What does any of this have to do with your customer acquisition and supply chain systems that we talked about in the last episode? Right. And the reason why it's such a huge distraction is because you want to, you know, you want to make those people happy. You don't want to be like, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, you don't want to be rude. Right. You want to take their advice and they mean well and they're trying, but they're a huge distraction without even realizing it. Uh, and so you have to, they just take mental energy and emotional energy. Cause you're like, do I want to reject this person and make them feel bad by not doing the thing that they, they are recommending to me, they're trying to be nice, but no, would, uh, somebody at a big company, like would Jeff Bezos listen to, uh, any, any of his friends telling him how to run amazon.com? Probably not. He runs it just fine without anybody else. So why should you listen to, you know, somebody you just met, uh, in the bus station? You know, or somebody that, uh, you know, you, you see, saw at the family reunion that you haven't seen in a while and is trying to give you advice, right? Or why would you listen to them about running your company, right? It's not being rude. It's just you got to protect your business, right? And in this, there's a subset of people in the family, friends, and fakers group. I call them freebie seekers. Now, these ones are far less insidious and far more in your face. They're far less subtle. They're very overt, right? These are people who hear about your business. And they come looking, come with their hand out, right? They're looking for free product. They're looking for a little bit of cash. I just need a little help, a little help, you know, or they come with the sob stories where if they didn't, if you weren't in business, they wouldn't have been here, right? Uh, I'm not saying not to help people, but I'm just saying watch out because you may end up giving away. I mean, you're not making enough profit anyway. You have to pay out uh, all your uh, inventory and pay out your employees. And you just now are able to pay yourself. And you just quit your job. But people are coming back, hey, man, can I get $2,500? Hey, I just need $7,500 for this or any of that stuff, right? That happens a ton, way more than you're probably prepared for. Uh, or product, hey, can, you know, we have this nonprofit, this group this weekend, and they're, we would love it if you could sponsor them, right? But you need that inventory to sell. Like, you're not big enough yet to just be giving away product for free, right? But yet they're going to come. You have to be ready for it and be prepared. What are you going to say? How are you going to handle it? Right. And sometimes they're even looking for a paycheck. Hey, man, uh, I'm out of work. Lost my job. You, you got something for me? Hey, can we get in there? Can I, you know, I can help you. I can help you. I'll do some marketing. I'll do this, you know. And that's fine and good if they're qualified. But if they're just coming, if they're not qualified, this is the most dangerous because they may trade on your relationship at some point, right? Well, basically they're saying uh, they may not work that hard and you, you, Maybe in a position where you are thinking like, I, have, I may have to fire my brother-in-law. I may have to fire my sister. I may have to fire my uh, cousin, my kids, my husband, my wife. Who knows? I may have to fire because they're not performing and everyone's seeing it. And it's dragging me down, right? Like it's just getting in my way, right? Um, 
I don't recommend doing this unless they're really, they've already done that exact role before. And then also, you're probably not going to build the relationship probably because you're a solopreneur right now. You haven't researched the market and or understood exactly how much the role uh, pays and you haven't uh, done the full hiring process. So you're not even sure. So this is literally just they're skirting any kind of hiring process and just showing up and you're going to pay them probably on maybe under the table or maybe not. Like who knows? It's just it's a it's a horrible scenario uh, when it goes bad. Sometimes it goes good. Don't get me wrong. But when it goes bad, it goes really bad. OK, uh, and it sucks when, you know, you're trying to help somebody out and you're trying to be nice. Um, and a couple of months down the road, you lose both the employee who was supposed to do the work and the friendship or the relationship. So friends, family and fakers and freebie seekers, distraction. All right, that's the list. Top 10 distractions that you should not focus on, uh, in my opinion. And I know you may disagree with me on some or all of these, and that's perfectly okay. I get it. I have a very opinionated view of what works, and I know that. This is just what I found worked for me and the clients I've worked with. I've watched it happen over and over and over again. Uh, please don't use these recommendations as a final list. Please use them as a starting point. And then test yourself. Test it yourself. Try them out. Like if you really think that it's not going to be that big a distraction, it's going to be a huge win for you uh, and you have the time and energy to do it, then by all means, go for it. Right. And that's really the main goal of giving you all these recommendations. Right? I'm just trying to save you the pain and frustration of wasting both time, energy, and also money if you don't have to. Subscribe, rate, and review this show on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. If you know of any other e-commerce businesses trying to go from six to seven figures a year in revenue, share the show with them. Visit our website, www.layasystems.com and sign up for our newsletter. As a thank you for signing up for our newsletter, you'll immediately get access to our Clavio email marketing resource kit. A must if you're selling online to make sure you're getting the most revenue you can from back-end sales and not having to constantly scale through paid acquisition. I'm Emmanuel Leo. We'll see you on the next episode.